Right, let's, um, we're on Galatians um, in the evenings, and, and Galatians is a, is a book sometimes confusing with some of our New Testament letters, because some of them are named after who they're written by, and some of them are named after who they're written to. Uh, the Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia, and um, it really is a, a letter by Paul um, to... Go, go against or to argue against the Judaizers who are coming into the church and beginning to teach them again that they've got to follow various Jewish laws and regulations to have a, a faith and to follow Christ. And this, it's kind of foundational to the church. It's early part of the church. Some of the things we take for granted now, Paul was wrestling for, he was fighting for, the gospel as he had been preaching it and, and, and been punished for and, and taken beatings for. And, um, and they were arguing. He was arguing, we read earlier, he was arguing with Peter about some of the stuff that was going on. And he was, because Peter was, was eating with the Gentiles and he was not following some of the Jewish laws. But then when the, some of these kind of Jewish teachers came to, to the church, uh, Peter stepped back and stopped eating with the Gentiles and went back to some of his Jewish practice and Paul got really mad at him and, and said, Peter, what are you doing? You hypocrite, you can't do this. This is not the gospel. This is not what we're about. And they had a fight and they argued. And, but they were wrestling. They were wrestling for what is the gospel? What, what are we about? What are, what, are we, what are we preaching here? What are we living in? How are we saved and how do we live the Christian life? So um, it's pretty important stuff, pretty foundational stuff. Um, so I'm going to read to you Galatians 3, but I'm going to read to you from the message version. The message version is a paraphrased version of the Bible. And it came about because Eugene Peterson, who is the author of the message version, who, did, who brought this version into being, he was teaching his church one, one time and he was teaching from the book of Galatians. And um, he did a Bible study and, and uh, he prepared it and he thought it was absolutely fantastic and he was gripped by it. And he sat down and he went through this Bible study with uh, a class of people in his church and he, sa he said he felt them glazing over. He went home, home discouraged to his wife and he said, they're not, they're not getting it. They're not engaging with the truth of what I'm teaching them. And he was, he was a bit discouraged and he just had this disconnect sometimes with what he was trying to tell them and what he was trying to teach them and kind of what they were receiving. So he started to paraphrase the, the book. He's a, he, was a, he was a great scholar of, uh, of biblical languages and, and so he started to translate it into modern kind of North American English to engage with his congregation and and he started with the book of Galatians, and it, and, it, and it gripped them so much that he went on and started to translate other books until he created the whole version of the Bible called The Message, which is a paraphrased version. So I'm going to read from that version tonight, um, which is from Galatians chapter 3. Um, Trust in Christ and not the law. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? 
Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Don't these things happen among you just as they happened with Abraham? He believed God and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Is it not obvious to you that persons who put their trust in Christ, not persons who put their trust in the law, are like Abraham, children of faith? It was all laid out beforehand in Scripture that God would set things right with non-Jews by faith. Scripture anticipated this in the promise to Abraham, all nations will be blessed in you. So those who now live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who lived by faith. This is no new doctrine. And that means that anyone who tries to live by his own effort independent of God, is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it by embracing what God arranges for him. Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God. And that's the real life. Rule keeping does not naturally evolve into living by faith but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule-keeping. A fact observed in Scripture, the one who does these things, rule-keeping, continues to live by them. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the Scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse. And at the same time, dissolved the curse. And now because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit, in and with us by believing just the way Abraham received it. So the main thing, the big question that Paul is asking, his burning question, verse 2, uh, and he says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by, and then multiple choice, by one, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Or two, did you receive the Spirit by believing what you heard? Which one was it? How did you start your Christian life? Let me put this question to you, the message version says, how did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off? 
to please God or was it by responding to God's message to you? The promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of salvation. How did you receive it? Paul asks the Galatians because they now are mixing up this gospel. Did you receive it by observing the law or did you receive it by believing the message that was preached to you? The question that Paul is asking them, this burning question that he's quite perplexed by these Galatians who are turning back to their kind of legalistic rule-following ways, is repeated then in verse 5 when he says, in the present tense, that was in the past, how did you become Christians? What happened to you? How did you start this journey of faith? And then he says, in the present tense, he says, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you, one, observe the law, follow the rules, or two, because you believe what you heard? Is your ongoing Christian life, is it rule-keeping or is it spirit-filled living? Which is it? Answer this question, the message. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your life you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving, must try harder, or because you trust him to do them in you? The question is a theological one that Paul's asking, and it's a practical one as well. So, how does a Christian, to use a theological term, how does a Christian receive imputed righteousness, and then how does a Christian move to imparted righteousness? How do you get righteousness given to you, imputed, how, uh, uh, given to you, and how do, they, how do you then move on to live a life as a Christian to have righteousness imparted to you? That's the theological question. Or another theological way of saying that is, how is a person justified? How is a person made right with God? How does that happen? But then how is a person sanctified? How is a person made more like Jesus as they go on in their Christian faith? Or to put that in a little bit of a simpler way, how do you become a Christian? And then how do you grow as a Christian? How do you keep living as a Christian? How do you become more like Jesus? And Paul's trying to press home to the Galatian Christians that it is by believing, it's by faith that they were saved, that they were made children of Abraham, not by following religious rules. It's not the fact that they were circumcised. It's not the fact that they followed certain rules that allowed them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Doing the right thing is not how you got here, Paul says to them. Following the law is not how you received your salvation. It's not how you received the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's not how you came to faith. And this is the big debate that Paul is fighting for as he writes to the Galatians, as he argues with Peter, as he goes over this gospel teaching. How did you become a Christian? How did it start with you? Was it by following the law? Was it by believing in faith? And then how do you continue to live as a Christian? Is it by following the law, the rules? Or is it by being filled with the Holy Spirit? How do you get in and how do you move ahead in the Christian faith? And one and two starts with how they became Christians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
what Paul has said in his letter so far to these Christians, that it is faith in Jesus that saved them. They've received the truth of the gospel and they've believed it at a deep visceral level and they've been saved and made right with God because of that. So earlier, as he writes this letter, in in chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, we know that someone is not justified, made right with God, by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. And then in verse 21 of chapter 2, he says, if righteousness could be gained through the law by following the rules, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. You did not become Christians, Paul is saying, by being good people and trying hard enough and following the rules. That's not what happened to you. You became Christians, he says, as a result of the gospel. Gospel just means good news. We preach to you, Paul said. Before your very eyes, this is the way he says it, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. It's a picture. It's a, it's, it's, it, was, it was taught to you in such a way that it was so clear to you. You could see it. You could see it with your eyes. You could, you could picture it. You, you could, the truth of the fact that Jesus died for you. Jesus was crucified for you. And before your very eyes, we painted this picture in bold brushstrokes, Paul says, and you saw it and you received it. And by faith, you were transformed and your new life began. This clear presentation of the gospel is so important. It is still so important that we preach this gospel in such a way that before people's eyes, we paint the truth of the fact that Jesus died for us, for our sins, to make us right with God. It's so important that we still paint this picture, that we present this gospel, that we preach Christ and him crucified. Jesus died for you, Paul says, for your sins. You believed it and you put your faith in him and that's what saved you. And Paul then goes on because these following themselves really as the children of Abraham, which was kind of what they saw themselves as, the children of Abraham, the the sons and daughters of Abraham, this long lineage of Jewish faith, this Hebrew faith, they saw themselves in that light. So Paul says, what about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. Let's talk about his experience of God. And God told, God came to Abraham, uh, Paul says, and he told Abraham that he would save the world through him, through his descendants, that all of the world would be blessed through his descendants. And that was what God said that through the promised Messiah, through the one that would come in the lineage of Abraham, that the whole world would be saved, that, that God in essence preached the gospel to Abraham. And he said, through your lineage, through your descendant, the Messiah, one will come through you that will bless all of creation, all of nature, all of um, mankind. And Abraham believed that when God told him that. Abraham believed it. Believe the gospel in that sense. And we, Paul says, we're children of Abraham. But any sense of being made right with God, salvation comes through believing the good news, the gospel. So Romans 3, 21 and 22 says, but now a righteousness, a being right with God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness 
from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's how you are made right with God. So this belief of Abraham, Paul says, he says, let's look at Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham. He wasn't made right with God by being a good person. He wasn't made right with God by following the law. He was made right with God because he believed the gospel. He believed the truth of what God said to him, that through his descendants, all mankind would be blessed. And so, Paul said, God credited that to him as righteousness. God made Abraham right with himself. Now, that is a financial term, that Greek word. He credited it to him as righteousness. It's an accounting term. The moment that Abraham believed God, he was counted as righteous. Righteousness was transferred into his account. I've sometimes had this fantasy uh, where, where I thought, wouldn't it be great if someone just came, like a, someone who was really, really rich and just like transferred a load of money into my bank account? Wouldn't that be fantastic? And I think someone like David Beckham or someone who's got loads of money. I was thinking about like my remaining mortgage, my car loan, any kind of debts I've got. I thought, wouldn't it be great if someone would just come and like pay it into my account, wipe it out in one go? That'd be so cool. And I was thinking, there must be some people out there that it would be nothing to them. It would be nothing to them to try. It would be small change for them, a multi-billionaire to just do that. It's a little fantasy I've got. I don't, I don't know why. But, but that, in essence, is what Jesus did. He, it, we were in debt. We had this massive debt. I owed a debt I could not pay, the old hymn says. He paid a debt he did not owe. And so what, what Jesus does, he, he takes our debt, he takes our account, which is in the red, and his account, which is in the black, and he transfers his righteousness into my account and he takes my debt and puts it into his account he takes my debt and he gives me his righteousness he gives me his and and this divine exchange happens and the moment that Abraham believed Paul says God credited it to him as righteousness he transferred across his righteousness he was made right with God in that moment and his debt was transferred over to God and this still happens that that this Crediting of righteousness, this, it's called impute, imputed, imputed righteousness, that God makes us right with himself as we believe in him, as we believe and put our faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So that, Paul says, that's how you started the journey. That's how you became a Christian, not by being a good person, not by moral striving, but by believing in Jesus, by seeing Christ crucified. As we portrayed it to you in the preaching of the gospel, you believed it and you were made right with God. So that's how you started. So how do you continue? How do you continue to live as a Christian then? How do you grow? The question arises then, Paul asks, if that's how we started, how do we continue? How do we continue to live as Christians? If that is righteousness that is imputed to you, paid into your account, how then is it imparted? How do you become more like Jesus? How do you grow in your faith? How do you continue on in this Christian life? The answer that the Galatians had turned to that was really troubling Paul and that Peter had kind of sided with to a degree, was that we're going to now continue what we started by trying harder, by following the rules, by being good people, by being circumcised, by following the rules. Yeah, we might have got in this way, but we're going to continue 
by returning to the rule book, by trying hard to be a good Christian, which is what a lot of people still do today. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to deal with my anger. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with that. I'm just going to try harder. And what Paul is saying is that the way you enter the Christian faith is the way that you continue in the Christian faith. We believe, and so we're justified by faith, but we are also sanctified by faith and by the Holy Spirit's work in our life, not by trying really, 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 really hard. Paul says that's not how it is. So what are you going to rely on as you progress in your faith? And I think that's what the young people have been speaking about this weekend in the in the living the life of the Spirit, in the, in the being transformed and changed by the power and the life of the Spirit. There's a fundamental fight going on here that Paul is fighting for the heart of the gospel and the Christian community. And he's fighting pseudo-salvation and he's fighting nominal Christianity and he's fighting a form of godliness where there's no power to it. And I see this ongoing today. It still happens today that established Christians and that people who are exploring the Christian faith, I hear it coming out of their mouth, I've got to try harder, I've got to match up, I've got to be better, I've got to try more, to match up, to follow the rules, to be good enough. But what Paul says, this is a cursed way to live (laughs) because you can never, ever meet all the rules. If you try and live by the rule book, you'll die by the rule book. He says, it's a cursed way to live. It's a terrible way to live, the Christian life. If you rely on the law, Paul says, you're still under the curse of the law. You still live under that curse. But that's a curse that Jesus took for us. It's a curse that he was cursed on the tree, and it is written, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus became that curse so that we would not be cursed, so that we wouldn't live under it. So anyone who tries to live The message version says it this way, by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to failure. Scripture backs this up. Utterly cursed is every person who fails to carry out every detail written in the book of the law. The obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. So he took our debt of sin and he paid righteousness into our account. Instead, he made us right with himself. And then verses 10 to 14 of this passage. So all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. So the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So faith is what leads to the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul asked the question then of the Galatians, and he says, are you so foolish that after beginning 
with the Spirit, accepting the gospel, being made right with God, that you are now trying to attain, attain your goal by human effort. We are all able to receive God's life as Spirit in and with us by believing just as the way, as, just the way that Abraham did. We grow by living in light of this gospel, by living in light of this truth, by living by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by trying harder. We live by the truth of the gospel, the good news. We need the gospel as much after 10 years as a Christian, after 20 years as a Christian, as we did the day that we accepted the truth of the gospel. We all live by the gospel and by its truth. I want to share a very profound theological thought with you now. This is an apple. This is an apple. Now if I said to you that I, wanted, I, I gave you some seeds and I said I, I want you to produce an apple <laughs> and you would take these apple seeds or the seeds of an apple tree and you would, put, and you would stir at them and you said I'm going to try and produce an apple by my own effort. I'm going to produce this fruit. I'm going to do it by trying and trying and trying. You would never, ever be able to produce an apple by trying to produce an apple. An apple requires an apple tree. An apple tree requires roots. The root systems need to be in the soil. It requires the sun and the rain. And gradually, gradually, this apple will just begin to grow on the tree that is planted, rooted in the soil, that grows up with the sap rising and the sun shining and the rain falling. And gradually, I can't hurry it up. I can't make it happen. I can't fast forward it. But gradually, with time, this apple will grow and it will grow. The fruit will be produced and I will be able to eat this lovely apple. But I could never produce it by myself. It would be foolish to try. And what Paul goes on to say, and we'll get there in his letter to the Galatians when he starts to speak about living by our own effort and living by the Spirit, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and self-control. That this fruit, this becoming more like Jesus, this ongoing Christian life, is produced when we are rooted in Christ, when we have our relationship with him, when we have the Spirit of God in us, produces this fruit naturally in a way that is not by striving, it's not by our own effort, it's not by trying harder, but it is, it is a natural consequence of living in the presence of God. It is a natural consequence of spending time with Jesus, of walking with him, of keeping in step with the Spirit. And we cannot then help but produce the fruit of the Spirit. The, the, when we are rooted in him and when we are walking with him. And so what Paul is saying here is, he's saying the way that you become a Christian by faith, by believing in Jesus, by receiving the Holy Spirit into your life, is the same way that you continue to live your Christian life and produce the fruit of that and, and grow in the spirit of that is the same way. And you cannot, you must not return to just trying harder 
by following the rules, by being under the law, because that way is cursed and you will only fail that way. So what Paul says here as he wrestles with them and as he writes to them in such strong terms is he's saying, you foolish, stupid Galatians, stupid children, you've started so well, but you've gone off the rails by following these Judaizing Christians, these these teachers that have come in and say you've got to follow the rules, you've got to do it right and, and yet so many of us continue to live that way as Christians but Paul says keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit yeah. keep on living in the presence of Jesus keep on reading the scriptures, keep on having that walk with him, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, be being filled with the Spirit of God and before you know it you'll be producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your lives. You need the roots first before you can have the fruit. But if you're rooted in Christ, then as we walk with him and as we live in the power of the Spirit, we will be changed more and more into his likeness. There was a teaching back in the day called sinless perfection. And some people would teach, some people taught, that you could reach a state in this life of sinless perfection, that you could live so close to Jesus that there was no sin in your life, that you reached that perfect point. And, and teachers were teaching it, and Spurgeon was having none of it. And he was at one conference where this was being taught by this one particular preacher, and he, he, he was basically saying that he had reached this state of sinless protection. Uh, perfection. So what Spurgeon did the next morning as he went to breakfast, he took a jug of milk and he poured it over this preacher's head. And the response of that preacher proved that he was not sinlessly perfect. And Spurgeon's point was made. <laughs> the fact is, in this life, we will never reach sinless perfection. We wrestle with our sins. We wrestle as we grow in our faith with Jesus. But it's not about clenching our butt cheeks and trying harder. But it is about walking with Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being transformed into his likeness. And this is the gospel that we live by. And this is what Paul was fighting so hard for. And this is what we need to live by today. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your gospel grace. We thank you for your goodness. This amazing grace that we sing about so much, that through this unmerited favor of God, this undeserved gift of Christ, that we received righteousness. It was paid into our account as we believed in Jesus. And our debt and our unrighteousness was taken and put upon Christ. We thank you for this divine exchange. And Lord, we pray that we put down our roots in you and, our, and we'd walk with you and we'd We'd love you and live in your presence in such a way that, God, we produce the fruit of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we continue to do that. And the way that we came into this Christian faith would be the way that we continue to live it, by the gospel, by grace, and by the goodness of God. I pray that, Lord, we would love you in such a way that in view of God's mercy, we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices. I thank you, Lord, that this fruit naturally grows in us as we walk with Jesus and as we live close to him. I pray, Lord, that as the youth have been thinking this weekend about living in the Spirit and being transformed by the Spirit and living this life 
that, that is uh, empowered by you, Lord. Pray that every one of us would know that to be true and that we wouldn't fall into this old and ancient Galatian trap of having started so well in faith and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we would try and continue by our own efforts, but we would lean upon you and your truth and your spirit and be transformed into your likeness day by day. We pray, Lord, that we'd be increasingly fruitful in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.